Good morning, folks. It is February the 3rd. It's Super Bowl Monday, actually. Thank you for listening to The Mike Dominic Show. I am, of course, Mike Dominic. You can find me on Twitter at Dumanuko. And please go to themadbotter.com. If you need any custom software, please reach out to themadbotter.com. We can help you with all your software needs, including Java. So today we have a great interview. Someone I like a lot, I've known for a while, Mark Heckler, who is now the Spring Developer Advocate and software developer at VMware. I'm sure you know what VMware is, but if you don't, there's an explanation coming up in the interview. He's formerly of Pivotal, who VM acquired uh, not so long ago, maybe a little under a year. Uh, This is a great interview talking really a nice, broad conversation about the Java ecosystem, the current state of it, a little bit of Kotlin's in there, uh, some comparisons to other frameworks, things like that, or other ecosystems, I should say. You know, I had a lot of fun with this one. Really great conversation. I want to thank Mark for coming on. So I won't bury the lead anymore. Enjoy the interview. And uh, please leave your feedback on the subreddit and or Twitter. Thank you very much, guys. Enjoy the interview. So, Mark, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Michael? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, for those who don't know, this is Mark Heckler of uh, VMware. What's VMware? Yeah, it still seems really weird to say that, doesn't it? At least for me. That's right. Yeah, I have uh, for the last four and a half years, I guess now, boy, time flies, uh, worked for Pivotal with Spring and the various Spring projects. Uh, I am a developer advocate. I do write code. I do commit code. I do talk a lot uh, about that. <laughs> uh, and I travel, kind of bounce around the world wherever uh, folks will invite me to uh, to talk about that kind of stuff. But uh, getting back to your first question, VMware, how did that enter? Uh, VMware has long been a sister company of ours, one of the, the numerous uh, companies under the uh, Dell Technologies umbrella, along with Pivotal. But VMware actually... I uh, just purchased Pivotal uh, toward the end of last year. So now everything is officially under one, uh, at least uh, what had been separate, uh, Pivotal and VMware, under one umbrella. So we're uh, largely the same team doing the same things. Uh, we're just uh, under that uh, one consistent umbrella that lets us kind of go soup to nuts uh, end to end in terms of integration and um, uh, delivery build uh, and delivery of applications. Super cool. Yeah. So. Spring Developer Advocate, okay, wonderful. I know from following you for years, you're a, can we say Java enthusiast? Is that fair? Uh, Yeah, very vocal, deep-throated enthusiast, I guess you'd say, (laughs) full-throated enthusiast, yeah. Uh, I've been working with Java for longer than I care to admit, uh, but early days, very early days, uh, and it's been a really good ride. Uh, Java has done some amazing things and, and feels like, oddly enough, that it's just kind of coming into its... I don't want to say second act because it feels so limited. Uh, it's kind of launching out and, and leaping forward even now, which is kind of crazy, right? Uh, you, you've got uh, some some great technology that's starting to filter in faster and faster, and we're seeing some cool stuff in the ecosystem. So yeah, good good times. Awesome, awesome. So so maybe we should take it from the top. So you said Spring. Now I know what Spring is. I have actually shipped several applications in Spring. Good. So good work, guys. Excellent yeah. stuff. What is it though for maybe someone coming from a background of either .NET or let's say like a PHP Ruby on Rails kind of person? Well, wow. Um, trying to summarize this all in a few minutes, I, and I don't want to launch into a like a war and peace type of treatise here. But <laughs> I guess at a at a very high level, you know me, I'm a history buff, so I, I like to kind of touch on the history, but I won't. Like, I'll try not to put people to sleep with this. But in the early days of of Enterprise Java, that Enterprise Java kind of, you know took over the market in a lot of ways, but it was somewhat cumbersome, somewhat difficult to use. 
And Rod Johnson came out with an idea of making Enterprise Java actually consumable and bearable to develop in. And he wrote a book about that and included code in the book that, that talked about how to make that happen. And there were a couple other folks, uh, among them Jürgen Huller, who is the head of Spring Framework Development even today, who grabbed onto that and said, look, you can't just publish just this in a book and walk away from this. You have to make this into a legit open source framework project that people can get a hold of and contribute to and, and build on and use, really use. And that's kind of the birth of the Spring Framework. And over the years, it has evolved, right? Because right. there are more and more patterns that are consistently identified in software development that we do over and over and over again uh, that, you know, after a while, you kind of become numb to them. You don't always see the the work, the setup that you put into them, the, the ceremony that goes into accomplishing even very simple tasks. But uh, the Spring team has taken a look at all of those things over the years and has tried to place a very developer-first lens focus on those to where you can get down to business and, and accomplish real business value without a lot of setup and ceremony and closing out connections and things like that uh, to where it's just stuff that we always do. Don't a lot of times think about it. So it helps kind of accelerate your development process. Similar, as you'd mentioned, Ruby on Rails and, and .NET, some similar goals there to make you super productive. Uh, but between Spring Framework and the various Spring projects like Spring Data and Spring Cloud and uh, and of course, Spring Boot, which ties all of those together, it's been very much focused on making developers hyper-productive. But, but Spring MVC is kind of an approach, right? It's an imperative approach that focuses on delivering an experience uh, using imperative code. Of late, in the last few years, we've had also a, a, a Spring Web Flux, which kind of corresponds to the Spring Web MVC approach. And instead of adopting an imperative approach, it's a reactive approach. So incorporating reactive streams and Project Reactor, which is our kind of fully reactive component uh, underpinning for uh, Spring Web Flux. And it gives you options, right? But but the nice thing that it does is it gives you the capabilities uh, to task switch, very frictionless task switching or uh, paradigm switching between those two uh, approaches to to solving problems, right? Uh, Spring Boot, that's super high level. And again, happy to, to drill into that later or at another time. But, but Spring Boot, coming back to your original question, Spring Boot actually makes uh, Spring Framework much more consumable and much more deployable. As somebody who had done some Spring Framework uh, development years ago and then had stepped away for a, a period, uh, that's a another story in a previous life, and then came back. I came back about the time that Spring Boot was becoming GA. And it was amazing the difference, how it kind of turned everything on its head, similar to how Spring kind of turned Enterprise Java, the Spring Framework turned Enterprise Java on its head in many ways. Because Spring Framework focused on uh, three things kind of primarily and many other things as well. But but I always look at the, the top three, right? And, and focus on kind of a, a handful of things that it focuses on or, or anything really focuses on. And Spring Boot primarily is centered around uh, uh, ease of, of dependency management, ease of deployment, and auto configuration. And those are kind of the three things that I tend to say give you superpowers, right? Because your dependency management in any kind of project, but especially in Java projects, has been uh, you know, not always manageable, right? So if, if you're wanting to provide a capability, you may have, you know, kind of a top level uh, frontline set of dependencies that you'll bring in. But those, of course, bring in other dependencies, which bring in other dependencies. And you wind up with this massive build file, which has a ton of dependencies, all of which have to be version synchronized. Because if version A of library A, or version one of library A, doesn't work with version seven of library B, and you don't know that, 
uh, <laughs> then you wind up doing this uh, this crazy chasing game trying to figure out what's wrong. And sometimes things aren't very apparent what's wrong. Uh, and then, of course, that's just with two libraries. What if you have three or five or 10 different dependencies that conflict, right? So uh, with Spring Boot, you have starter uh, bombs, starter bombs. So you have a, a bill of materials and you have nested dependency structures that are laid out in terms of, of dependencies that work well with other dependencies and the versions that work well with them, right? Battle tested, proven. So you don't get into this crazy game of dependency whack-a-mole where you're trying to find what the problem is because something quit working. And of course, all those things are overridable, but in 90 plus percent of the cases, you just don't have to mess with it, which means you can focus on what you're trying to do in the first place, which is write productive code and deploy it to production. Another thing with, with Spring Boot that it added to the mix uh, on top of Spring Framework, of course, is your simplified deployments, which is uh, a, a an Uber jar, an executable jar. You know, that had happened before, of course. You had shaded jars in the Java world, but shading gives you some potential problems, right? Because you're kind of extracting all of the files from each jar and kind of mixing and matching and pushing them in and and you're mixing licenses potentially, which is potentially problematic legally, uh, as well as worrying about, you know, what happens if you have conflicts and version conflicts between your different dependent libraries. And with Spring Boot, uh, what you did was you had a very clean nested jar structure, which kind of brought order to chaos, right? And you can extract that and deploy it in containers and things like that. And sometimes there are reasons for doing that, but it makes it super clean. And anywhere you have a JVM, you can run that jar. It's fully self-contained with all the dependencies. And of course, you can even make it, as I mentioned, fully self-executable. So there's a way to actually have it where you don't have to do the java-jar, you just run the jar. Uh, so it gives you a lot of power and a lot of flexibility and capabilities. But the third thing I think is probably arguably the most important, which is the auto configuration, because as I mentioned, you have, if you're trying to expose a capability for your application, you may have several things that go into that. And of course, in the old, the bad old days, you would have to configure every single one of those single things that you had to have. So if, if you create this bean, this Java bean, and it depends on five other Java beans, which depend on 10 other Java beans, you're having to configure each of those. The beans, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you want to you know, call them objects or whatever within whatever other language's context, but you know what I mean. It's, yeah. it's a lot of setup. Uh, and with auto configuration, with what Spring Boot does is it evaluates your code, your, your annotations, your class path and says, oh, look, you have a database driver on your class path. Oh, look, you're defining a repository. You're extending a repository that's implemented in Spring Data. So you're you're wanting to use a repository, a data repository. You have a database driver in your class path. I bet you want to talk to a database. I mean, this isn't what's really. I mean, this isn't rocket science. Right. It's, it's auto configuration, uh, but it it really makes your life so much easier and so much more productive because at that point you can start talking to your database. And it's no mystery what you want to do. <laughs> so, right. When compared to the vanilla Java EE way, that's just a ton of XML hell you're saving too, right? Yeah, you know, and, and yeah. I mean, Java EE has come along. Java EE has some, sure. some annotations and, and capabilities in that regard as well. But I think uh, Spring Boot is, it's pretty clear Spring Boot did a lot to help advance that cause and and kind of is out there constantly trying to, to again, advance it, continue advancing it and make developers super productive and and again, all those things are overridable. All those things, you know, with a property setting, or you can define a bean that that is, you know, dropped into the middle of things, and then the auto configuration backs off. But in 90 percent of the cases, you can focus on the stuff you want to focus on, which is awesome. Right. Your application <laughs> so, logic. Sorry. Right. So, I don't know. That's sound all. Like a, it's a commercial, but you know, it's it's so. You're an evangelist. It's well, it's I, right in your title. It is. So true. it is true. So. Real quick, we just we have to mention it. So Spring Two is Apache Two license, correct? 
Uh, that sounds right. But to be honest with you, I, I never mess with the licenses. So yeah, I think so. Yeah, it is. I looked <laughs> it up. It is. It's, it's Apache 2, some open source. There's a community behind it. Let's kind of pull back a thousand feet from Spring. So you can check out Spring on spring.io. I recommend it. It's good. I've used Spring Boot. Mark is an expert at it. So if you ever need help, he's on Twitter. Ah, always uh, learning. Always learning. You know, I have a dark, shameful history with Java um, over a decade and a half ago where I used to write Java applets. You know, those things that would compromise the security of your browser to get you to fill out like a survey? <laughs> oh, that my was gosh. me. <laughs> so I'm going to take a swing in the dark here and say the, uh, the world of Java has changed since then, right? Uh, just a bit, yeah. <laughs> I have done some Kotlin, and I'm, I'm super impressed with the Java platform. I, I haven't done, uh, let's see, the last version of Java I used, like, seriously without using, like, uh, Scala or Kotlin on top of it. Or I, I shouldn't say on top. I know people will write in. I think it was, like, <laughs> one was Java 5, 1.5, whatever it was called. And, and I know that's going back a ways. So... What does kind of the past, present, and future of Java look like? What's the state of play right now? I guess it's a better way to start. Wow, so much in that, especially if you're talking about from Java five. Uh, let's let's, well, not let's go back assume to five. the audience five knows feels... more than me. Yeah, <laughs> let's five feels very dated. Uh, let's let's kind of start at Java eight, I guess, for a lack okay. of a, for as a good jumping off point, I guess. Uh, Java eight dropped. Um, gosh, it feels like forever ago now, but maybe. Uh, five, six years ago. Now I have to stop and, and check my calendar. Oh, maybe it was eight that I used. Yeah. Yeah. Java 8 brought a lot of goodies that kind of solidified the platform very nicely. Lambdas, Stream API, things like that. So it was a super capable, very performant version of Java that I think everybody kind of looked at and went, wow, why would we not upgrade? And, and at some point, a lot of that happened. So everybody kind of settled on eight. Uh, with Java 9 came the uh, Java module system, sometimes referred to as JMS. But um, the, the module system kind of came, I don't want to poke anyone in the eye because it just took a while to pull together, but it came kind of like late in the game. So you had some folks who had settled on OSGI. Uh, you had folks who questioned need for modules. You have people very excited about it and have been since before it launched. But with a certain amount of inertia on Java 8, there wasn't a fast adoption of Java 9. But about the same time, or I guess prior to Java 9's release, there was a, a kind of a sea change within the Java <laughs> Java development process, Java uh, realm, uh, which was instead of coming out with kind of a big bang release every you know two to four years, the Java team recognized the need and, and advocated for the need to go ahead and start pushing out smaller releases every six months. And with that kind of time frame, you get smaller bite-sized chunks of advancements each time. But what it does allow you to do is iterate much more quickly. And of course, you can start uh, incorporating like uh, early evaluation type of, of, of features in, uh, let's mm -hmm. say, Java 10, and then Java 11 comes out and it kind of solidifies a bit more and so on and so forth. So, so that's been going on now for, I mean, we're up to uh, Java 13, Java 14 is, is kind of in the wings. Uh, so that's... Um, that's been happening, which has done a few different things in the Java ecosystem. You know, initially when that cutover happened, there was a lot of uncertainty and the Java, you know, ecosystem doesn't always like uncertainty like any other ecosystem. So there was some, you know, mass concern, hand wringing, what have you. But I right. think everyone's kind of settled down into the, oh, this kind of works, right? So uh, everything has been rolling right along and um, new features have been coming out uh, as with each um, 
and, and deprecated features as well. I should mention that as well. Some features that really should have been removed over time as things goes on, as things go on, uh, are starting to kind of filter out. Uh, but you're seeing some really cool things happening in the Java ecosystem at an accelerated pace. And that's just within the kind of the main Java development process, because you also, outside of that, have some really exciting things happening in the ecosystem like Graal, Graalvia, and native compilation and things like that. So you've got some cool stuff happening now that's starting to open some interesting doors to, to Java developers that may not have been necessarily that open before. So quick real-time follow-up. I'm getting in my work Slack channel. Uh, this is a quote from my CTO. Mike, we use Java 8. The fact that you refused to any features newer than Java 5 was not my fault. So there you go. <laughs> so, Ouch. Oh, my God. Ouch. Solid burn. <laughs> Solid burn. Whoa. Little harsh. So I have to mention my new love, Kotlin. I, oh, yes. We don't want to start any kind of you know controversy. I, I, I hate the language flame war thing. But right. how do you feel about are, are you Because I know you can use Kotlin in Spring because I've done it, right? So yes. how are you? Yes. Do you do that or are you kind of you know sticking? I've also noticed or I'm told that some of these more functional paradigms have been incorporated like lambdas into the newer versions of the Java language proper, which back in the old days, we know Java 5 did not have that. So... Right. What's yeah. the relationship now with those languages? How does it work? It's really good, actually, and that's uh, thanks for thanks for bringing that up because I I'm, I love Kotlin, a uh, huge fan, and uh, love to use Kotlin. Uh, I should actually kind of back up and say Spring Framework has been Java centric. I mean, we've worked with Groovy as well, supported Groovy over the years, but we embraced and adopted Kotlin as a full first class citizen with with Spring Framework five, which came out uh, twenty seventeen. Uh, GA, actually, it was early access long before that. But it's been Kotlin and, and Java are an equal footing in terms of if you want to write Spring Boot applications using Kotlin, you know, go for it. If you want to write them in Java, go for it. It's all good. So Kotlin is it has been embraced by the Spring team. Uh, you know, it's um, it's a great well, and you can mix and match, versatile. right? Which oh, which yeah, is really which is, right. which is awesome. I always tell people because sometimes folks look at it and say, "Well, why should I change?" You know, especially with Java's six month release cycle. Well, maybe you shouldn't. But the Kotlin team is very good about incorporating uh, some new and and uh, you know requested features and some things that they feel like are kind of leaning forward. And the Java sure. team is also very good about that. But the Java team also has a a very strong commitment to backwards compatibility. They're very methodical about how they implement things uh, for good reason. I mean, you've got a massive, massive, massive installed base for decades now. So it's kind of neat to see the cooperation, the play off of each other, because I feel like the Kotlin team can innovate uh, very rapidly and non-destructively in many ways uh, and introduce some new great features uh, that the Java ecosystem, it may take a little while longer to incorporate, but obviously that's not because they're you know, plotting and slow. It's because they're being very careful not to break other things and being very careful on how they implement things within an existing language that is, again, has massive adoption. So I think the teams actually, it certainly feels and looks like there's a great deal of respect and, and interplay between the, the teams in terms of how they implement things. But you can use them together. And that's one thing that I think is pretty nice if you're uh, kind of wanting to test the waters, you don't have to cut over uh, because within Spring, sort of like when you're going from an imperative to a reactive world, if you want to incorporate some Kotlin code into your Java applications, literally you can create a, a build file uh, that will, uh, if you have a .kt file, it'll it'll you know call the Kotlin compiler, it'll it'll yep. create the same bytecode that you're using your Java compiler to create uh, for your .java files, and then everything's happy. It coexists so harmoniously as opposed to the you know you mentioned Scala, and Scala is a great language. Uh, but it didn't always 
work well and and sit alongside Java quite so nicely. Right. It was more of a binary choice. If you were going to do Scala, you were doing Scala. Um, sure. We're, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I guess there's a there's a elephant sharp in the room here. <laughs> so we're talking enterprise. We're talking Java. What about its distant cousin from another mother and possibly father? .NET. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, .NET has some great things and some very vocal adherence. But I think Java. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or anything. I think they they both bring a lot to the table. But Java has. I mean, it cut its teeth on completely cross-platform. That was its whole reason for being in many ways. So I think Java started out that way, is is still that way. .NET is, has kind of, I think, seen the light. And you've got a lot of great support from Microsoft and and others to to help make that more cross-platform. Uh, but it it didn't come there easily in many ways. Um, it, it still, yeah, it still hasn't. So I'm a member of the .NET Foundation, and it's there's a lot of awesome work being done. You know, .NET was envisioned as a framework for a particular operating system running on a particular architecture. Where Java, the original promise back when it was called Oak, which that's a deep cut for the listeners, was meant to be write once, run everywhere, which, you know, was as true as that can be, right? Yeah. And I'm, you know, for instance, I'm doing, I don't know if you've heard of Avalonia. I heard of it. Don't know really anything about it. Enlighten me. So, yeah. Do you remember the old... uh, uh, well, not old. It's still around. Java FX, right? It's a oh, GUI yeah. framework. Yeah. Yep. So let's have cross-platform, uh, you know, user GUI applications written in JVM language. I think FX currently is just Java. You might be able to do Kotlin too. I'm not. I'm, you might know better. Don't quote me on that one. But <laughs> yeah, Avalonia is the same thing for C sharp, and and you know by extension F sharp, right? But it's you could tell when comparing the two products that FX has been around. And to be clear, they're both, I mean, Avalon is an open source product with a great team, but you can tell which one is written on an architecture that was from the ground up designed to be cross-platform, designed to you know, not be tied to a particular ecosystem and which one wasn't, right? And that's kind of, I think, the beauty of the Java ecosystem today. That And there were rough edges, again, mea culpa for the applets, but you can pull in a jar and it basically works just about everywhere. Right. If you have a JVM where that's not true on the .NET side. Now, granted, I don't know how you would feel like a language to language comparison, but that's just my two cents anyway. Yeah. And those are some great observations. I mean, and there are some great languages in the, the .NET arena, if you will, uh, C-sharp, F-sharp, whatnot. But I, I yep. will say that, I mean, you kind of do nail it. I will make a couple minor adjustments because JavaFX is still under active development. Uh, it's got a great, great community. And there are many cases where you need you need native desktop applications, as well as JavaFX has a capability now to deploy to iOS and Android and things like that, that, that gives you a lot of cross-platform capabilities that, again, kind of harken back to the early days of Java, which is that focus on cross-platform. You know, we don't care where you want to run this. We just want you to be able to run it. But one thing that you mentioned as well in that uh, the Java ecosystem is doing some really crazy and interesting things now too when it comes to native compilation. So while it's very much cross-platform in many, many ways, uh, there is some recognition that there are certain use cases that make sense to build things down to native code. And when you need, you know, millisecond response or startup uh, and when you need to be able to minimize footprint. And, and there are certain valid use cases for that. They certainly don't encompass all of them. Uh, and the Java, the, the typical, you know, build the 
jar and you have the just-in-time and, and uh, just-in-time compilation. You have your optimization that goes on live as you're running the application. Um, that's pretty, at least at this point, pretty nigh impossible to beat performance-wise. In fact, that can actually exceed native code performance in many ways because of the live optimizations that happen. Uh, but you also have circumstances where that's not as important. Throughput, let's say, isn't as important as important as your your startup time and, and footprint size. So, uh, with Graal VM, with Substrate VM, you have the ability to build native applications down to, you know, a few bytes of you know a small collection of megabytes, if you will, a small number of megabytes. Uh, so it it makes it um, it gives you a lot more flexibility even moving forward into the future. And you have again, a lot of capability to do things now in Java uh, that you wouldn't have necessarily had three or four years ago. And that's kind of, I think, in response to things like Go and Rust and things like that. So what's really cool about this is that there are some languages and some environments, some programming tools that kind of stagnate, right? And they get into the, well, that's not how we do it here. And I think in most of our industry, thank goodness, I think we're, our industry is growing up in, in some so many ways, in that we look at other environments, other programming languages, other tools, and we say, huh, that's a pretty good approach. Why wouldn't we do that too? Or, well, I see what they're doing there. I, I want to accomplish the same thing, but maybe do it a little differently. And we are borrowing better than we ever have. I mean, if you look back 10 or 20 years, True. everybody just threw stuff at each other, right? <laughs> it's like, that's not how we do it. That's the wrong way to do it. We'll never do it that way. And I think you lose that cross-pollination that way. And I think we're uh, embracing that more and more in our, our industry, which means that we more and more can see better tools coming forward faster for developers, which is awesome. It's a great time to, to be a developer. Oh, it definitely is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, also to a more fair comparison, probably to JavaFX would have been Xamarin, not Avalonia. So that's my uh, ah. my mistake. But it's the same idea. Yeah. Right? They do the same thing. One's just much larger and has much more similar level of support. So I hear you're an author. <laughs> well, I, ironically, because we've been talking a bit of JavaFX, I actually have uh, co-authored a couple of JavaFX books in the past. Um, but and actually, Tech reviewed another one uh, in in years past in a prior life. But uh, but yeah, I, I have been kind of debating, kicking around for a long time, writing a book on Spring Boot. Uh, there are some really good books already in the market. I don't want to take anything away from anybody who's written them. Some are my colleagues, and they're just awesome. But as with any author any any book you always have to make decisions on what to include what not to include mm. uh, how you want to present something uh, what you feel is absolutely critical and what's less important what you want to emphasize and de-emphasize and I felt like there were some things missing that I could add my voice to and maybe help round out uh, so I I started taking notes uh, the last couple of years I every time I would talk to somebody and they would say hey can you recommend a good book or hey I'm looking at this and I'm not seeing this and I've read this book and I didn't see anything about XYZ I started taking notes. So someone from O'Reilly contacted me not that long ago, uh, a few months ago and said, hey, we'd like to talk to you about something. And I said, well, you know, I had this project kind of bouncing around in the back of my head for a while. And they said, that sounds great. When can you put together an outline? And I said, well, I have an outline. I, I've been working on this for a while. I just need to, to carve out the time to write this. It actually came together really quickly. Everybody looked at the, the outlines and and made some minor adjustments and boom, we signed the contract. So I'm, I'm writing a book called Spring Boot Up and Running. And my hope is to kind of assume nothing because there are, you know, Spring Boot has been a GA for now over five years, uh, 2014. It, it was generally available. And of course, 
Uh, it was available before that. But there are new developers coming out of university every day. There are developers coming yep. over from other environments. There are folks who have a lot of Spring, you know, Spring Framework experience in corporate environments who are just starting to play with Spring Boot and they want something that kind of helps them ramp up quickly. So you've got folks who are new to Spring Boot who aren't necessarily new to the industry or new to development. Uh, and I just thought that, you know, maybe I can kind of fill in that gap. So uh, that's supposed to be published. I think it's August 1st. And I'm frantically working to get everything in there that I want to get in there, not just as an introductory tome, but but in in terms of here are some introductory things. Here's how to actually apply those things in a real world type of environment and then launch into some more deeper topics like like the reactive programming, like deployments in, in terms of packaging. And and when you do want to, to build a container, uh, an image rather to to deploy as a container, you know, and, and the best practices, quote, recommended uh practices for doing that. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a project I'm excited about. I've already started an outline for book two in case book one goes well. If not, then yeah, well, no big deal. But hopefully it'll add to the conversation on Spring Boot. And uh, yeah, so if anyone's interested in knowing more about that, follow me, MK Heck on Twitter. That's where I talk about well, pretty much everything, actually. <laughs> um, so MK Heck and, and uh, all the announcements I'll be throwing out there, you know, moral support or whatever, you know, that's great. But uh, But I'm trying to uh, make good headway on that. So I don't uh, miss that August 1st due date. I can't, in my mind, I think, you know, our field changes so rapidly that I don't want to drag yeah. this on. So I'm reviewing and revising things. And, and of course the goal is to keep it up to date, but I don't want to have to rewrite every month. So uh, I want to get this out, get it into people's hands and then start working on cut two. So that's the plan. That makes a ton of sense. So, the question I ask everybody to wrap up these uh, sessions, what is your setup like? Uh, you know, interestingly, I spend most of my time on my MacBook Pro. Uh, it's a year old MacBook Pro. It's got 32 gig, um, actually only 500 gig uh, internal SSD. But I mean, it works really well. It's super portable, super light. And I take that with me everywhere. Also carry an iPad, um, you know, just for fun, I guess. But I actually do have a, a 64 gig beast that I, a desktop that I can use at home for recording and things like that. I just don't spend a lot of time at home. So <laughs> yeah, uh, most of my time is follow, on the MacBook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mark's Twitter is often about airport delays. So just <laughs> keep that in mind. Yeah. You know, I'm trying yeah. to give that up, but yeah, I don't know. They just don't cooperate. So, you know. No, I, I feel your pain. I've, I've been there. <laughs> so I have to ask because you know, I've used many Java IDs, so you're getting a bonus question here. Oh, sure. What is your IDE of choice? Uh, Love IntelliJ. I've actually used same here. pretty okay. much every IDE too. Same thing. I mean, when you go onto a client site, when you work with a particular group of uh, organization, group of customers, whatever, I mean, I think I've used all of them. I always kind of half jokingly tell folks, you know, hey, I've used uh, Eclipse. Eclipse works, you know, it's not my favorite, but it works. I mean, it can do pretty much everything. Uh, NetBeans yeah, is a great IDE. Uh, has great Spring Boot support. Eclipse, we have a language server that can work with Eclipse, with with Atom, VS Code, what have you. Um, I'm partial to Vim, uh, but please don't use Emacs. Have some self-respect. No, I'm kidding. Um, so after I, I said that one time and somebody said, well, what about Space Max? And I said, well, you know, any editor that has a name as cool as Space Max, you know, because of course, Emacs in the end of space. That's, of course. that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. But no, IntelliJ is my daily driver uh, because they do so many things so well. And the team... 
uh, who, well, I say team, but the company behind IntelliJ is JetBrains. And the company yep. behind Kotlin is JetBrains. Uh, yes, obviously, JetBrains. Google uh, contributes and, and supports uh, you know, Kotlin development. Obviously, that's the, the Kotlin first approach to uh, Android development, things Android. like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, the Kotlin support is just phenomenal. Uh, and being a Kotlin head, I, I do particularly enjoy that. Uh, but IntelliJ just kind of works. It fits my flow best. So yeah, there it is. Thanks for coming on, Mark. And where would you like to send the good people that are listening? Uh, you know, I don't blog as often as I would like. I, I hope to restart that. Uh, but, you know, obviously with the book being first and foremost, the blog kind of takes a backseat as it sadly has with me living in airports. But theheckler's.com is my blog. Uh, but on Twitter, if you just follow me at mkheck, mkheck, uh, that's probably the best way to reach me 24-7-365 and would love to hear from you. All right. Great. Thank you for listening, folks. And uh, thank you for coming on, Mark. Well, thanks for the invite. Always good to catch up. Always great to talk to you.